Daily Coast's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Coast, and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Elleveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. I am Marcos Melitzas. I'm here with Carrie Elleveld. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast's The Brief. It's our weekly show about politics. So normally, Carrie, we would talk about what the show is going to be about and then banter about 30 minutes. But we're doing a special summer episode. People are on vacation. We can't get the whole band together at the same time. So we've actually got some of these recorded <laughs> in advance. And this is one of those episodes. What that means is that we're going to get to the topic of the show and our guests pretty much right away. So, Carrie, sound good? I'm sure, yeah. And the viewers are probably like, oh, thank God, we can just get straight away to the good stuff and we don't have to <laughs> listen to Marcos and Carrie moan about what's happening in the current politics. Anyway, yeah, let's do it. The, the filibuster, Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema. <laughs> yeah, can we just take a guess? <laughs> let's just take a guess. Manchin is still king. Mansion's still king, right? Uh, the filibuster's still a problem, still exists. I don't know. Biden's probably floating somewhere around 50% approval, maybe a, a point or two higher. Let's just see how that pans out. I don't know. You got anything else? <laughs> oh, man, we could totally pull it off. I bet we could. So, yeah. But what we're going to actually talk about this week, Carrie, it's going to be about rural organizing rural politics. And I know this is a topic that's incredibly interesting to you uh, academically. Uh, you've written about this a lot. You've, you've thought about it a lot. You really focus a lot on sort of the shifts in voter towards, you know, this hyper-partisanship, right? So urban areas are heavily Democratic. The suburbs used to be sort of lean Republican. Now they're lean Democrat. And uh, those trends are an ongoing phenomenon. And then rural areas, which used to you know, be more more uh, balanced. I mean, we had Tom Harkin in Iowa not too long ago, uh, you know, total liberal. And rural America has become, has become heavily Republican. And this is a problem because we can have all the gains in the, in the cities and the suburbs, but if Republicans run up their margins in rural areas, it makes it harder to win at the state level. And that has impact in, you know, governor races, statewide races, legislative seats all up and down, federal, state, president, of course. So right. this is an issue, obviously, that that's incredibly important. And it's not about, Carrie, you know, it's not about winning these seats, right? It's just about cutting some of these margins down. Right. I mean, and in some cases, I think it's partly about cutting the margins down. But man, imagine being able to pick up a seat a Senate seat in Iowa, for instance. I don't know, you know, they're just just recently, which of course will be a few a few weeks out by the time this airs, we got this, you know, this poll um, from the Des Moines Register in conjunction with Selzer uh, and Company, right? So a polling guru there in Iowa and, and Senator Chuck Grassley is, you know, not faring particularly well. And like, I think two thirds of people, I should have looked up the actual numbers, two thirds of people basically said, yeah, I think it's time for him to move on. That's pretty close. So it doesn't mean that Republicans are going to vote against him, but it just means there isn't like a real high level of enthusiasm for Senator Chuck Grassley, like putting in an, a, 
a third term at 89 years old when he would be, you know, that's how old he'll be when the general election rolls around. So did I say, I, I meant eighth term. Did I say third term? I meant eighth term. Yeah, it's a lot. Like it's a lot 200, of terms. 200th term. 200 terms. Like. <laughs> we don't need Chuck Grassley's 200th term is what we don't need. Anyway, so, we should bring out our guest. Cause yes. let's bring him on. Iowa, I, you know, mentioned Iowa, not, not by accident, right? On purpose. Right. So our first guest is, is personifies rural politics, J.D. Shulton. He is the executive director of Rural Objective PAC. I, I believe that's what it is. But I actually know him as a two-time House candidate. He ran in 2018 against Steve King, the worst person in Congress at the time. It came four points from beating him in a heavily, 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 heavily rural Republican district in northwestern Iowa. He ran again in 2020, but the, the Donald Trump vote was just too much, and his candidate wasn't as horrendous. So it was a little tougher slog. But, but J.D. is probably the most optimistic person I know anywhere, not just because you know, he took the, the, this hard decision, courageous decision to run in a tough district against tough opponents. and did it twice. Did it twice, but also he's still engaged in this in this in this battle. He hasn't given up. He he could have easily done this. So so much love and admiration for you, JD, and so thankful that you're on to talk to us about this topic today. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's good to see both you two. So our second guest is John Ray. He is a director of polling at YouGov Blue, and uh, we have John on because he did a poll of rural America that we're going to be talking about quite a bit today. Had some real surprising findings. So really excited to have you on to discuss that, John. Thank you so much for joining us. Howdy, folks. Thanks for having me. So, J.D., I'm going to start with you. When you look at rural America, it sort of it, Republicans do really well in rural America because because it sort of personifies the Republican base, right? It, it's older, less likely to be college educated, a lot whiter. And, uh, and Democrats have lost a lot of ground amongst those sort of constituencies right now. Here you come. You are, I mean, you're not older, <laughs> you're not, but, but you're male, you're white, which if you were to look at the statistics in, in the polling and in exit polls, right, you are statistically supposed to be a Republican. So what, what happens along the way? that uh, actually allowed you to buck that that statistical trend? Well, when I launched the campaign way back in 2017, uh, one, I was extremely naive. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the thing that I wanted to do was do something different. And the way that campaigns are run right now, uh, so much are cookie cutter. And, and I was just like, you know, what's going to get people to create a movement or what's going to create a movement to get people to vote for a Democrat who may not have voted for a Democrat in a long time. And I looked at this district and this district used to be represented uh, at the congressional level uh, when we had more seats uh, by Tom Harkin, by Berkeley Bedell in, in the eighties. And, and those aren't like moderate Democrats. Those are extremely progressive Democrats. And so uh, I just went back to the basics. Uh, my, my one goal was to raise enough money to buy a Winnebago RV, which we probably did. Uh, they're made in the district and just go around and talking to anybody and everybody. And, you know, we see what's what I've looked at, kind of what's happened uh, in, in Iowa specifically, but across the Midwest is that a lot of these rural spaces 
uh, have really succumbed to the mis and disinformation of social media. Uh, you look at Obama winning in 2008 and 2012 in the state of Iowa, and we have a county uh, not too far from where I live, uh, Carroll County, voted for Obama in 08 and voted for Trump at 71 percent uh, in 2020. And, and so that's where we're seeing a lot of this. And, and you look at really like where are we? Where's the shift actually happening? Because there's some counties that were 80 percent for Republicans uh, in 2008 and in, in, in 1980, and they still are today. Uh, so that, the shift's not happening there. The shift is happening in a lot of these manufacturer kind of area uh, towns, these these mid-sized towns of 8,000 to 25,000 uh, people towns. And they're happening a lot in not the suburbs, but the rural parts of metropolitan counties. And that area, is, those, those are the type of areas that we're just, we're getting crushed on. And Donald Trump uh, really lit something with these folks. And what I like to say is the Democrats lost a populist fight to a billionaire from New York. And I, and we don't talk about that enough. So I have to say, so the, the, one of the things that, one of the reasons we're even here is that I saw this poll that you guys did, your organization did uh, JD in conjunction with um, YouGov and YouGov blue. Uh, apparently there's not a YouGov red. <laughs> for anybody, for, I, mean, I mean, not that they didn't try. We just we just confirmed that before. It was a bit of investigative journalism on our part. Anyway, um, but but the, you did this poll, right? And I saw it Rick, written up in the New York Times. It was a poll, as a battleground state poll of rural rural voters. Um, and John Ray uh, worked with you guys on on conducting this. And it was written up in the in the Washington Post, I think, by Greg Sargent. And the poll found that only 50 percent of rural voters associated the stimulus checks provided directly to people's families, you know, directly to their accounts that are that were in the American Rescue Plan that only Democrats voted for. And that was Joe Biden's plan. Right. Only 50 percent of rural voters were giving the Democratic Party credit for that. 32% of those rural voters were um, giving the GOP credit for it, and another 11% didn't associate it with either party. So in total, 43% didn't associate it with Democrats. Now, I have to say, they painted that in a rather negative light, and so did you. I thought 50% of rural voters are giving Democrats credit for anything, like what I'd say is pretty good to me. I, mean, I was like, I don't know. Am I just like way overly optimistic? Is my bar way too low? I'm not sure. But I would be interested in hearing a reaction from both you or whatever, back and forth from you and John, on whether that's a really, really negative statistic or whether it, it there's a possibility of seeing that 50 percentile in a, in a glass half full kind of light. I'll let John go, but I'll just say that, I mean, 50% of, of rural voters are acknowledging fact is not where we should uh, be excited for. Um, but but uh, John will go into this. A right, right. John will do a lot more going into this. But I think the, the, the thing for me, the poll, there's two parts that I absolutely love about it. Basically, I wanted this to be a poll that if uh, I pop, popped into a coffee shop or a gas station in anywhere in rural Iowa 
what would we get kind of the feedback? And I thought John did a great job and you, you blue did a great job, uh, at, at doing this. And I think the bigger thing for me is we really saw that rural voters don't love the Republicans. They just hate the Democrats and we can get into that more, but John, go ahead. Yeah. So I think, I think, and we will come back to that because I think there's a, there's a, there's a larger takeaway here about sort of a rural cynicism that I hope we have some, some, some time to talk about. Um, and thanks again for, for having me. So I think, you know, what's important to keep in mind is yeah, Democrats, you know, a good share of them are getting correctly attributed for the policies that they support. But these are also cases where, you know, to those of us who are kind of steeped in this stuff, uh, these policies are really kind of unambiguously democratic. And so from a certain perspective, 50% is pretty, is pretty low. Uh, there's a sort of similar area that I think um, exists in the data that we haven't quite talked through yet, where on some policies where, you know, you, you really, like you really, really can't deny sort of where each party stands. You know, for example, we asked voters about like, which party wants to uh, provide PPE to workers who could be exposed to the pandemic? Something that, you know, one party very clearly said, yes, we should do this for a year. Uh, one party very clearly said, no, we shouldn't do this for a year. Uh, on that on that one, for example, voters were basically split. About 30%, 30 some odd percent said the Democrats support this. Uh, sort of high 20s percent said Republicans for this and the rest just had no idea. Uh, so I think that, you know, even in areas where I think, you know, maybe the messaging problem, and we can talk about the, de- the degree to which there is one, uh, I think it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty clear that rural area voters in particular um, are, 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 you know, through some combination of who they're getting their information from, how much attention they're paying, how much they actually like either of the parties, um, I think there is a clear messaging deficit for Democrats. But I think the way uh, that J- the, the, the JD put it just now is, is, is quite astute. There's this question of how much of this is they hate the Democrats versus uh, there's just from cynical of, of, of both parties. Uh, so, yeah, so, you know, on a, on a lot of these things, there is sort of broad, you know, acknowledgement of fact, uh, but at least, you know, to, to my, to my eyes, it seems, it seems like even accounting for that within that there's, it's, it's pretty clear that, that the Democrats are not getting the message out. Let me just ask a quick follow-up that's right on top of that, which is you're talking about a messaging problem. And part of my shock at 50% of voters giving Democrats credit was not just, was not so much messaging as it was, how do you break through to such a siloed population? And we're all siloed. I'm not just blaming rural voters for that. You know, progressive voters are siloed, whatever. And, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, is it a messaging problem or how do you get I mean, I assume most of these voters are watching Fox News, One America News, Newsmax, what, you know, getting mostly getting their information from conservative outlets. And I'm wondering, like, is it a messaging problem or is or, or do you just consider messaging to be part and parcel of how we reach these voters? Yeah, I I, personally, I think that's exactly it's not so much the message, it's the messengers. And by the time this show is announced, it'll it'll be announced that uh, Matt and I are working together with ruralvote.org. Uh, Matt Hildreth from ruralorganizing.org that John and I worked. So it gets a little bit, it gets a little bit uh, uh, confusing (laughs) here. So rural objective pack. So, uh, uh, did commissioned YouGov for this. Matt Hildreth works at organizing.org and he helped us with the polling. But now, moving forward, we see this huge gap in the Democratic Party with messengers. And that's what we want to do with ruralvote.org. 
is uh, really bridge that gap and, and try to find messengers to help with uh, local messengers. And, and, and uh, we see that doctors and nurses are some of the most trusted people. Farmers and ranchers are right after that. Try and find local folks. Talk about national issues in their local environments. Because right now, so many parts of Western Iowa where I live, my state rep, my state senator, my governor, my member of Congress, both senators, all Republicans. The Democratic message is not getting to these people. And I listen to talk radio all the time to hear what's on the ground. And it is so far removed from what the national narrative is. And and so I think that is what you mentioned there. The messengers is exactly right. But, John, go ahead. One of the things that I found, some of the stuff I found sort of the most surprising and interesting from this poll is uh, the degree to which um, so many rural voters don't really live in the box that many of us put rural voters in. Uh, so, yes, Fox News viewership is quite a bit higher among rural voters, but it's not a hundred percent of the population. It's not even 70% of the population. You know, some combination of Fox, One American News, talk radio, the sort of stuff that you would think of as like, you know, right-wing YouTube channels. That is a huge share of the media that rural voters are exposed to, but it's far from unanimous. And indeed, what our data is suggesting is that if those are the voters, those are the only voters that we're thinking about, you know, Fox News is, is watched by rabid partisans. Like rural voters are, are not just um, hapless victims of, of Fox News. It is actively sought out by more conservative voters. Um, among Fox News viewers uh, in, these, in these results, 87% of them voted for Trump. Only 6% of them didn't vote in 2020. It's a sort of channel that feeds into the part of you that, you know, you want to feed. And so I think this thing that JD was saying about going out and actually finding people. And then I've sort of had this, this feel that he and I have shared about these sort of, sort of other platforms that we should be looking for voters on in, in, in rural America, I think is a really important takeaway here. Uh, because, you know, yes, there is a lot of conservative media being consumed in these areas and those, those outlets have, you know, pretty clear pernicious effects on what those voters believe. Uh, you know, Fox News viewers, um, our data suggests, are really into the sort of conspiracy theories that get passed around Fox News and One American News uh, pretty pretty constantly. Uh, but even but accounting for that, there's this other segment of the rural population uh, that I think. You know, we we would we're it's it's votes that we're leaving on the table. It's it's folks who aren't necessarily watching Fox or to a lesser extent MSNBC uh, who are who are actually pretty pretty clearly persuadable. So what you're saying is instead of losing these areas eighty five fifteen, there's enough people that we can actually make it a seventy thirty. Uh, and yeah, we're not going to win them, but it dramatically improves chances of winning uh, statewide races in a place statewide. like Iowa, for example. Yeah, losing less doesn't sound sexy, but but it is exactly what we need to do to win in Iowa. I mean, it's you look at Wisconsin, you look at Pennsylvania, uh, Ohio. It, it's all the same. In Georgia, we need to lose less in certain areas to win statewide. And I think, yeah. uh, John, or in the in the poll, it showed about fifty five percent are of rural battleground voters are are completely. We're not going to get those folks, but we're only getting about 30 to 35 percent. So there's about 10 to 15 percent. That's the area that we need to be targeting for 2022. And and that's where we want to uh, be very active in uh, for ruralvote.org. Yeah, I think I think the way that that, that Carrie put it uh, sort of at the top of the show here. So this notion of sort of cutting the margins down, uh, I think, is the is the is the is the correct framing here. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting, um, and I, I'm sure you guys know this, but in Georgia, we won Georgia in large part because of rural vote. And, and it's maybe atypical that there's a large black rural population in Georgia, but I'm going to be honest, I didn't realize there was a large uh, rural black population in Georgia until I started really digging into what our chances were in the state and where we had to make up ground and, and whatnot. So there's even, I think, voters that we don't even associate as rural voters that are more gettable, but are utterly completely ignored. I mean, is there, are there other states that that's, you know, that's the case? I know Mississippi might be one of those states. Absolutely. Mississippi's absolutely fascinating and where we're going to, I think, need to be playing as Democrats in the next few years. And if we're going to talk about the long-term game in the Midwest, we need to really start targeting the Latino community. Texas, right? (laughs) Well, yeah, everyone talks about Texas and Arizona, but like you look at what's the next wave of the rural Democrat from the Midwest, it's from the Latinx community. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we're getting now we're getting next generation. And what I've seen in my campaign where the parents uh, who are eligible to vote were really tentative to vote, but it's the kids. And we we're starting to get we're seeing in the Midwest really strong activists uh, in the next generation. And, and I just, I, I love seeing that, but we as a party need to capitalize on that momentum right now. So JD, I'm going to, I'm going to follow up a little bit on, on the question that Carrie did about uh, messaging and you talked about having better messengers. And so let, let's stipulate that you do have better messengers and let's even stipulate that you are one of those better messengers. And you just spent an entire four years crisscrossing your district, talking to so many people and there wasn't a lot. You lost ground in 2020 because the Trump, you know, the Trump mm-hmm. vote came out. So can I just say you didn't do, and I'm not trying to be rude here, but you didn't just lose ground because it, it is startling when I was looking at the numbers. You lost by four points in 2018 and then by, I don't know, close to 24 points or something like that in 2020. So, so is that right? Right. And so what I would I would say the big difference between the both races were we ran persuasion campaigns in both. And in 2018, we were able to because we only had a gubernatorial race. There was no Senate uh, race. We were able to get out there and have a strong message in 2020. I mean, Trump dominated the airwaves and then our Senate race just really suffocated. So anything down ticket, it just nationalized every single race. And so there, we worked our tails off. I went to all 374 towns oh, you did. Safe, safely yeah. in the pandemic. And we held parking lot rallies where people could stay in their cars. And, mm-hmm. and, and it was great. But, I mean, it was just we were handcuffed by, by what we could get out there. And once they heard you had a D by your name, that's really all that matters. That's, that's what was going to be my question. And it might even tie in. I think, John, you mentioned cynicism, the rural, the cynicism of rural voters. And maybe this ties into it. You're out there. You're campaigning. You're talking to people in a way that most of us can't even imagine. You say I'm a Democrat. Like, what is that reaction? What is your typical day campaigning in red America? I'll, I'll answer it. And then I'll let John do the, the poll, what the poll showed, too. So what I saw every single day, and I, I really ran on more of a populist. Uh, I don't, I don't like labels. I'm six six, but I thought I could play point guard and and all that uh, growing up. So uh, for for me, uh, one of the biggest issues I ran on was antitrust, and I'm trying to push more progressives and, and the Democratic Party that this is something that we can win in rural areas, and so. I talk to farmers who will always vote for me and ones who will never vote for me and everywhere in between. 
and not one of them challenged me on this. They know exactly that they're getting screwed by multinational corporations. And as a Democrat, I'm just saying, well, we didn't pass the the, the taxes that <laughs> let these folks off the hook and, and allows them to bully you guys even more. And and it just it's a winnable message. And you look at other issues that that I feel that can really that are democratic progressive issues that can really take a good strong narrative. You talk about equal pay. And, uh, I remember after 2018, when I talked about childcare, I had a group of Republican women reach out to me saying, thank goodness you're saying that because we need, we need more uh, help when it comes to childcare, especially in these rural communities. And so, uh, but and John, then they vote, and then they vote for the other guy. But, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the narrative you gotta, it, it, that's unfortunately what's so, so John, the question to you, and it's sort of following the same vein is, you know, there are issues that clearly resonate with, with rural voters. We, we, we talked to Hildreth before, and he actually had a list of issues that actually worked well. But whether it, maybe it's abortion or whatever these issues are, maybe it's just anti-immigrant bigotry or Black Lives Matter or now it's going to be critical race theory. Like, is it just these social issues that sort of like wire, they're wired to like completely shut out Democrats when those issues become front of center, like front of their mind? Like what's yeah, going that- on there? Yeah, so that was that was a big concern that I had going into 2020 because you know even outside of the rural context, if you if you ask voters uh, who are you know no matter how you measure it, kind of persuadable in some sense, you know, maybe it's by their vote history or by what they say they might do, uh, a couple of things are true. As I'm sure you know, uh, Matt goes Matt likes likes to, likes to point out um, on the economic issues, Democrats really win those voters very strongly. We consistently find rural voters, for example, probably not surprising, uh, overwhelmingly favor a rural broadband plan, uh, overwhelmingly favor infrastructure funding that would make, it would improve the quality of the water pipes, stuff like that. Um, so on, on those on those issues, there's really no question. On the other hand, those same, those same voters, um, if you flip over to what you might call social issues or culture war issues, uh, Republicans win those voters sort of in, along that dimension pretty clearly. And my big fear in 2020 was that, you know, we have all these great policy proposals, but we also have kind of the racist and sexist in chief on the ballot putting his thumb on the scale of what it is that we talk about. This is going to this is going to suck up all the swing voters. And we didn't actually see that happening in, in a lot of places. And indeed, if you sort of look at sort of how Trump performed versus um, uh, lower level uh, 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 Republicans, Trump actually underperformed the rest of the party in, in a lot of places, which I think is very interesting. And so I think kind of on that on that question, this is really a matter of what are those going to end up talking about in the in the election? So I think J.D.'s campaign strategy was sort of wise in that sense, uh, in that we know that uh, the, like the, there's a reason that the culture war is the is the only sort of part of the Republicans' current policy portfolio. I, I don't think they really stand for very much of anything else. I think something that's worth thinking about on that is that 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 stuff has kind of gone so far. Talking about this with with Matt a little bit earlier, but it, it really kind of seems like at this point, I wonder, you know, in order to follow along with the kind of culture war crazy stuff that Republicans are on about, you really sort of have to have been watching the show since season one, if you know what I mean. You know, you really have to have followed the Trump expanded universe of culture grievances to really understand sort of what they're, what they're on about. You know, you know, I, and I kind of wonder in some sense if is getting 
you know, for Republicans is getting an independent onto their team at this point, sort of like getting somebody into the Marvel universe by like starting them with like the latest episode of Loki, you know, <laughs> so, you know, so, so much, so, so much craziness has come from the party just in the past, you know, 18 months that yeah. uh, I think they're going to start hitting a wall of, of, of persuasion. And I think some of the sort of down ballot results we saw in 2020, I think, I think, I think speaks to that. And so I think the sort of important takeaway that we sort of saw emerge in the, in the survey results uh, was that that kind of focus uh, is really going to be important for Democrats, sort of have messaging, messaging discipline on like real policies that provide material benefit to people's lives. That said, I know uh, JD, JD and I, uh, we ran what I think is one of the most interesting experiments uh, that I've ever run on a survey like this, just to sort of show folks the the size of the of the of the uphill climb that Democrats are facing. And so, what we basically did was we showed voters, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to compete, we're, we're going to run kind of like the most sort of like um, what you might call sort of like rural appropriate candidate you can imagine. So this is a, so it's a first. I mean, it's it's a male who. We describe them, but he owns guns. Uh, he goes to church. He really values his Christian faith. His big priorities are making sure that, you know, the people in his district, you know, get theirs from the government, basically. Okay, so that's candidate one. Okay, and candidate two, uh, who he's running against, uh, is a is a essentially a coastal elite. We say he's from a large East Coast city. He's paying for his own campaign because he's a successful businessman. And he says that he wants to run for office because he wants to cut taxes for other really, really rich people. Okay. So in just sort of that vacuum, we put, we showed those two candidates to voters and just said, which of these do you like better? Uh, candidate A won in a blowout. Uh, the sort of rural appropriate candidate. <laughs> they lied. Won, they lied. <laughs> run by, run one, one by, you know, 30, 35 points. Okay. Half of those voters were told, okay, same candidates. Candidate A is a Democrat. That's the only new piece of information oh, we gave them. This is Democrat. Good. This is good. This is candidate good. B is a is a Republican. Okay. In that in that context, okay, remember a previous case, candidate A wins by 35 points. In this case, with it, when he's a Democrat, the Democrat loses by a couple of points. Uh, he loses, uh, so he, he, so the interesting thing is that he loses 38% to 39% with a whole bunch of voters undecided, but those voters are conservatives. Tors, so they are just they can't, they just like, oh my if, God, are you if, kidding if, me? I have to if, vote for a coastal elite? <laughs> if, if push, if push really, really came to shove, that Democrat would, 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 would lose. Uh, and so I think that yeah. just gives us a sense of, uh, where we are in, in terms of the, uh, sort of messenger concern, which I know, you know I think Judy said was going to, uh, already, but that's just, that's sort of, that's sort of the, the tension that we, that we have. Doesn't that say then that the messenger actually doesn't really matter, that it's the party brand that's really at stake? And so if that's the case, which it sounds like it is, and J.D., I see you nodding right now, so I'm going to go to you. How do you repair the Democratic Party brand, given that their messaging they're getting, it's all about, you know, Black Lives Matter, Marxists, blowing up cities? I mean, people thought, like, Seattle was on fire. just remember for a second, Marcos, we're not trying to get that 55%. JD said we're trying to get between 10 and 15% of people yeah. that we might be able to peel off, right? So but the coastal elite still beat the literally the perfect rural candidate. Yeah, no, I understand, but I'm just, but you, but we're not going to get the people who are talking about blowing up and blah, 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 blah. We're not going to get no, those get people. Yeah. So, so, how, how, 
if we've if we've still got to overcome that brand problem with those 10 to 15 percent, as Marco said, what do you do? Well, I think there's a couple things. One thing that you can do is the best way to improve the Democratic Party is by rejecting the Republican Party and calling them out for the hypocrisy, calling them out for. Does hypocrisy work, though? Um, I mean, this is the Donald Trump narrative, right? Like he literally everything he said, there was a tweet. Right. So I think this is where we talk about the game and not necessarily the, the, the play. And saying like, oh, they're saying this because blah, 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 and and calling it out rather than re- reacting to it. And so I, I think that's one thing that along with like the mis and disinformation, like I, I see this clearly since 2008 in Iowa to now, the biggest thing is uh, social media and the mis and disinformation from that. More folks get their news uh, in my district on Facebook than they probably do on the nightly news. And, I forget that sometimes. And, yeah. and my district is the number one district in America that uh, Democratic and Republican voters are on Facebook. So even in areas, rural areas where they have bad uh, broadband, they on their phones w- looking at Facebook. And so you look on Facebook, and what are the top ten things every day? On average, seven out of ten, but often ten out of ten are right wing propaganda. It's stuff. that Ben Shapiro crowd, yeah, exactly. And yeah. so that's where we need to be. And so it, the content divide is, is just a massive gap that we're not overcoming. And then you add just a candidate who's, who's going out there and with no infrastructure, uh, the way we run campaigns is just mind-blowing to me, where we rely on campaigns all this time. You look at the Senate races and how much money we spent on them, but do we have better data? Do we have stronger uh, parties, state parties? And, and we don't. And so the way that we're playing the game just doesn't make sense and doesn't allow for success. And so we need stronger party infrastructure. And that's one thing that uh, the next few years with Rural Vote org that's what i'm trying to build especially in the rural areas to try to uh, find brand ambassadors to be that messenger trusted messenger and saying hey listen 15 dollars minimum wage this is what it means for cedar rapids iowa this is what it means for for uh saginaw michigan and in places uh that we need to get the democratic message and, and just start competing on a much larger scale let me see right. if I, I can uh, – Carrie, I, w- I want to sort of reflect this back a little bit. So what are you suggesting would be obviously um, more progressive information on, on Facebook, but would it be – are you thinking at that national like a Ben Shapiro level, like these some major organization that can dominate that discussion? Or are you talking more about having local – when you say brand ambassadors, I'm thinking my mind goes to like the local, you know, beloved – woman who's been running her shop for 25 years or whatever and and she's on facebook communicating to people and putting a face of progressivism in a place that maybe doesn't see that or is this all of you know all of the above both yeah absolutely it's not an either or um this is this is so what i would like to do is just create a national network in these rural communities so we have a 2022 plan but our, our 2024 and longer plan is to have a national network so if there is mis and disinformation on a larger scale that we can have local responses to a lot of this stuff and and all across the nation our goal is to be in all 50 states uh, but then in doing that we can help support like if if you guys have a, a good clip that we can get uh, spread out it'd be willing to work with within this network to get it out and we just don't have that and and like my goal is to hand this off to whether the party or, or somebody else to t- take care of this this isn't uh for me like i this is just what's missing in the party 
And, and if we're not competing and, and in January, I went on a long road trip uh, to the Southwest to get some fresh air and do some hiking uh, while Iowa was freezing in a blizzard. And when I drove through Navajo, Did you go to Cancun? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I just wondered. I know yeah. that there was a senator no, no. from somewhere that went to Cancun <laughs> at, no. in a rough in a rough blizzard time. So anyway, uh, sorry. I went, to, I went to the Grand Canyon, and okay. uh, I've never been before. It was awesome. But on the way there, I, I drove through Navajo country, and I saw uh, Navajos for Trump. And you see where they're trying to play and, and thin the margins. And then you look at the Democratic Party and where are we playing to thin the margins? Mm-hmm. And, and we're not playing in Western Iowa. We're not playing in a lot of these spaces. And so that's where I feel like that, that we really need to step up. And, you, you know, running twice was in this area, running uphill is extremely difficult. And, and, you know, both races, I mean, the first race, we outperformed the top of ticket by 17 points. And then even though we got smoked in, in 2020, we still outperformed Biden by, I think, four or five points. And so, it's one of those things where like we got to start shrinking those margins. We got to find people who, and the enthusiasm's out there. That's what I saw. If you show up, people are uh, enthused and want to help and want to change the narrative. And now we just got to have a little bit more support with that. So just, just to build that out a little bit for, for viewers, for listeners, it sounds like what you're talking about. I mean, you know, on Capitol Hill all the time, an issue comes up, you know, the party or the leadership comes up with some talking points to get their point across, whatever it is. And you're almost talking about getting a clip, a talking point, uh, you know, sort of sticky message. And you're then distributing it to these um, these brand folks that you have across a network of rural America who have who have the benefit of authenticity, sort of a, a, a following, et cetera. And when a particular piece of disinformation comes up from the Republican side, it can quickly be put to rest by distributing this these talking points or this clip or whatever to this network of people that you've developed. Absolutely. I mean, that's the goal. Uh, The thing is right now, especially in rural areas, you have the Chamber of Commerce and and Farm Bureau uh, you have that are kind of part of the silos in these areas. You have uh, conservative churches that uh, are very more political, very much more political than any regular church or or, or a liberal church, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those voices are being heard. And then the big thing is the talk radio and conservative media. And so that's what we're up against. And so, you know, that's part of the 35%. This is not just like, you look in Iowa and all four congressional seats, we drastically outraised our opponents. The Senate uh, in, in Iowa in 2020 drastically outraised our opponent, but we, we didn't fare well. And it's, it's, but we're already starting at a major disadvantage because we don't have the infrastructure and they're just like, here's an R, they're not even a person or anything like that. They don't have any, it's not like a new ideas or, oh, this person is, is they're, they're really going to help with the small businesses and, or send, no, it's, it's just an R. And, re- yeah. and Republicans are running a, a 24-7, 365 day year campaign through these yep. different, you know, whatever organizations, people, et cetera. And, and, and we're coming in for a few months and saying, Hey, right here we are. 
Right. And then you look at more of the national, like how campaigns are actually run. Campaigns come and go. And when we actually organize, it's at best starting in July of the election year yeah. till November. No, we got to be in it. Right. And, and, and that is right. That is something. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting you. I no, feel no, no. bad. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, that's something that we're really interested in at Daily Coast. And one of the things, I go ahead and plug something that we were trying to put together for the fall, but is a focus on a year early for, you know, uh, on a bunch of different states that are going to be critical next year and get people invested in thinking about these states, knowing what organizations they can give to that will be, you know, registering voters and doing sort of the grassroots organizing that you're talking about so that when the candidate and the message and the, you know, and the money starts to pour in or whatever, it's not just, we're not just coming out of nowhere, but we have the, we have the foundation of, you know, a network created and, and voters ready to go. So we're, we, that's we, awesome. Yeah. yeah so it's, that's it's a, early vote. Yeah. I have a question for John and, and I think you mentioned, you're the one who mentioned earlier, the cynical rural voter. And I'm really kind of interested in, is that cynicism what makes them so solidly Republican and what that connection is exactly? Yeah, good question. And this will sort of tie, ties back to what JD was saying, sort of, sort of, um, in his, his, his previous, his previous, uh, previous, previous point. But I think so. So what we find is that um, if we ask voters, okay, you know, here are some policies that are going to accomplish this or that. For example, we ask, you know, maybe some some in Congress want to pass new policies to make them make sure America is competitive with China. Voters sort of voters, particularly rural voters, respond really positively to messages like that. It's sort of like, um, you know patriotic outcome thing, thing, things like that. So you, you get sort of a good number on that. But then we say, okay, good news. Democrats support that. Okay. <laughs> if you had to guess, why do you think they support that? Is it because they really want to help rural Americans have jobs uh, or because they're cyn- because they're cynical and they're just making a desperate grab for your vote? That second one, as I'm sure you can guess, far and away, the more commonly uh, selected, selected response. So even on a lot of issues where Democrat policies are popular, uh, we find that voters sort of think that they're being, that are sort of interpret that cynically. On the other hand, uh, Republicans have uh, nearly as much cynicism to face as do Democrats. Not quite as much. There's a 10 to 15 point deficit. But in both cases, Voters, voters in rural areas are quite cynical of both parties. Uh, so the sort of election outcomes, obviously, uh, much, much worse for Democrats. But underneath the sort of election day outcomes, there are these currents of cynicisms that flow towards both parties, which I think is important to keep in mind when we go back to this this notion of sort of um, always being present in a district and not from dropping in in July and not sort of starting the campaign and when those sort of deficits are there to sort of deal with. On that same issue, that same sort of set of the population that is basically, you know, cynical of both parties, you know, people who either, you know, they they don't vote or they decided they're, they're going to vote for at the last minute. You know, maybe their vote choice is really unstable over time. These folks whose votes are really sort of up in the air. If you go and look at where they're sort of uh, getting getting their political messages to the, to, the, to, the, to the degree that they get them, it's not Fox News and it's not MSNBC. And I think something, sort of go back to what J.D. was originally saying that's really important, is that this sort of giant pile of voters who are cynical of both parties, possibly in some sense persuadable towards one party or the other, uh, they are really starting to get their news 
from a whole new set of places where Democrats need to be sort of, sort of getting, getting, getting their, their message out. It's not Fox News, it's not MSNBC. These voters, first of all, uh, they're a bit younger. Now, this is rural America. So when I say younger, I'm saying, you know, four, 48 versus 55. You know, I'll take on, on, you know, yeah. you know, those spring chickens in, uh, in rural Pennsylvania. Uh, but, okay, even accounting for, you know, their age and all that stuff, those voters are much more likely to be getting their, their you know, their normal, their regular news, or even what they might call their political news, uh, from places like the YouTube channels that they watch, um, from the Twitch streams that they watch when they're playing video games, uh, from from podcasts, uh, from their online communities, like their Discord servers, in the sort of communities that they hang out in online, are increasingly important uh, news factors and information factors for them, um, which I think just goes to show that, you know, as much as there is this sort of large sort of pile of voters on the right who I think would be a really sort of tough get, uh, there is this this pile that really uh, I think we need to be really urgently making a sort of lunge for because they're in these new media environments. And so, you know, I'm not just blowing this because I'm on a podcast, uh, but really uh, it is, it is, it is true that like that form of media is growing in importance to persuadable or inactive or cynical overall voters, which I think, I think just speaks to the importance of, of that, of that, of that messaging. And then one follow-up question on that, and, and we have, you know, we it's daily because we have civics, we have our own data firm, right? So we understand the difficulties that everybody else seems to have had in unable to pick up the Trump voter, which seems to be like another level of cynicism where they completely refuse to engage with any kind of institution, whether <laughs> it's not going to be a poster for sure, right? But these are the people that are probably roll calling and, and, you know, they're destructive. They're nihilists. Did you see anything in your data in this poll that speaks to that sort of almost like incredibly difficult people to to find and to evaluate? Yeah. So 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 yeah. So for example, like uh, those that we got that we got in the in this in this sample, um, Donald Trump uniquely was just far and away the most trusted messenger of any. <laughs> named person, named political institution, much, much more trusted than any, you know, your your neighbors who are Republicans. He's more trusted than them. He's more trusted than the Republican Party, Mitch McConnell. Uh, we we sort of randomly assigned people a messenger about COVID vaccines, and uh, Trump's message saying "go get vaccinated" was was more trusted than the CDC's message saying "go get go get vaccinated." So I think there is this sort of uh, unique Trump phenomenon, which again, you know, earlier I was sort of expressing some optimism because he's not going to be uh, on the ballot at least. Uh, next cycle, unless he runs for Kevin McCarthy's job for speaker uh, or minority leader, he wants leader. to. Uh, he wants yeah, to. yeah uh, which you know, you know, beating Kevin McCarthy in, a, in, in, in a, uh, an election for minority leader, you know, power, power to him, fucking whatever. Uh, but, but I think, I think, sort of, sort of, I think what, what that, what that, what that suggests to us is that like there, there is such a thing as like a Trump phenomenon among rural voters. It's not just that they're kind of conservative. It's not just that they're, you know. Um, Watching Fox News all day, which you know, quite a, which, you know, many of them are, are just aren't at all. Um, I think the way that you put it, the sort of nihilistic sense, the way that Trump was this sort of uh, let's burn it down. Uh, you think I'm racist? Fine. Here's the most the most racist statements you can imagine. You think I'm sexist? Fine. Here's the most horrible things you can possibly say. That sort of thing sort of spoke to that segment of voters. But again, like that's that's sort of the hardcore that I don't think we're 
sort of you know Democrats right. necessarily should put it at the sort of top of their top of their list. And again, like I was saying at the beginning, it's not it's not everybody. I think that's 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 really 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 important. You know, rural voters aren't people who just go from you know the farm to flip on Fox News at home like this. It's not that's not really the rural experience for the for a huge swath swath of, of, of voters. And I think sort of pinpointing who those are is really important. I think so, that's, that's one thing that's a, a big misconception about rural. And uh, I, I, again, speaking from like the Midwest, there are more people who work at Walmart and Dollar General than farm. And I come from the second most agriculture producing district in America. And, and to me, we need to build that Dollar General coalition, the, that rural, that uh, inner city coalition of people who work there, people who shop there, people who despise those places, you know, who, who are the Whole Foods people, you know, to me, that's what the Democratic Party needs to be about, because those types of businesses, the Dollar Generals are uh, offering their workers eight, nine dollars an hour. So their workers, if they work full time or part time, they have to go on government subsidies to get their health care and things like that. They're offering unhealthy uh, options and and where I'm from, they're undercutting local grocery stores. And so people are having to travel uh, 20, 30 miles one way just to get groceries. And, and yet we can grow everything we want around us. And it just, it, the, our food system is really messed up. But like, I think if we can build this coalition for the Democratic Party, that is where I would start. So we have J.D. on. He knows Iowa as well as anyone we could possibly have on at this point. He's campaigned there. He's been to all the counties multiple times. And I know we're talking about a long-term building of, you know, a coalition, but we can't, we can't take 2022 off the table. How do you feel about 2022? Trump obviously won't be on the ticket. Um, that's something to keep in mind. Uh, his voters haven't shown a propensity for showing up when he's not on the ticket. Um, and I just wonder what you think. You know, we could have a Senate race that could be interesting there. Uh, maybe Grassley's running again. Senator Grassley is running again. Maybe he isn't. Gubernatorial race, um, you know, et cetera. So. Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting. I, I uh, well, first of all, with Grassley, he's been in office, not just Senate, but elected office longer than any AFC team in the NFL. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's crazy. Wait, what? <laughs> um, the whole entire AFC is newer than him being elected. Oh, funny. That's so, funny. crazy. So maybe even the Bears. We'd have to look it up. <laughs> well, that's maybe. the NFC. That's the yeah, NFC. yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. But maybe, <laughs> maybe he's been so, around longer than that. So, uh, it, I mean, that poll that was done uh, shows that, you know, people think it's time to move on. He's hanging on to figure out stuff in the fall, and that's going to do one of two things. Either he has a hand-picked successor that he's going to let go, or he's actually going to run. By all accounts, it, it sounds like he's running. Uh, so, I mean, I think there's a huge opportunity for, for Iowa Democrats right now. But again, we can't continue to lose this populist battle. And, and Grassley, I'll say, is kind of more of the old school Republican who has a populist. Like he, he talks populist, but he he loves to pass tax cuts for the rich mm-hmm. and the wealthy and, and really says one thing and does another. And honestly, the the way our agriculture system has just allowed multinational corporations to run amok in, in Iowa. And, and just, I feel a lot of our small town communities are struggling because of his policies, but 
But uh, we need more Democrats talking about that, not just one Democrat. And that's one of the big things. When when I ran on antitrust, it was all it was hard because I'm not. They don't hear the echoes from other places. If they just mm-hmm. hear me and they agree with it, but then they're like, "Oh, that's just JD. That's not the Democratic Party." Right. And so, so uh, that's one thing. Uh, I, I think if we and I'm hearing some of exciting candidates who are, are going to be running for one or the other, there's a tremendous opportunity to create a movement in Iowa. And I think with Trump not on the ticket, what we saw in 2018, we won two more congressional seats. We almost won the gubernatorial race and and I almost won in in the fourth. And so there is a huge opportunity, but but we got to make sure the energy and and the getting out the vote and and, uh, everything, we we have to run uh, a a near-perfect game and our candidates have to run near-perfectly in order to pull it off. It's not... uh, I won't say it's un, like impossible. It, it is absolutely possible, but a lot of things have to go our way. I think, yeah, I think that's all the time we have, Carrie. Mm-hmm. So I, which I'm really bummed out about for the record, because I have <laughs> so many questions that I had teed up for both you, John and JD. So uh, we're going to be looking into some of these 2022 states in the fall, and maybe we can have you guys back out to talk about Iowa specifically again, because it's such an incredibly rich topic and it has so much resonance to so much of the country. Uh, especially, and we have to be very cognizant of this, that our power imbalance of this, uh, in this country has a significant power bias towards rural areas uh, in most states and definitely in Electoral College nationally and in the Senate as well. So our ability to compete in rural areas, rural states, is actually um, a bit of an existential question for us if we hope to become a majority, majority truly majority party uh, that can govern effectively, despite these institutional disadvantages, um, we really need to compete better in rural states. So this is a conversation that we definitely want to keep on having. And John, are you going to keep pulling this issue? Is this something that you're focused on in any um, in any systematic way? Yeah. So I think you know this the, for basically the reasons that you that you that you said. I think you know keeping an eye on. To sort of how to, how to message and do messaging for rural voters is, is of, of crucial importance. Um, I'm more than happy to, to come back to, to, to talk more because I, I, I agree there's, there's a, lot, a lot going on here. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thank you, J.D., for, you know, for being on as a guest. That was incredible. And again, you're one of the most optimistic people I know, and I'm glad that you're continuing this fight because it's so incredibly important. John, it was such a pleasure meeting you, and I'm so glad we got to talk about your data, and hopefully we'll get to do this a little bit more in the future because um, it's, it's really good stuff. And I really, really love this experiment that you did <laughs> with, with the coastal yeah, elite you. with the R, and he won. So uh, that hurt. So, <laughs> so thank you both for joining us. Thank you all for listening. Uh, thanks to Walter Einenkel for producing this show. Everybody else, if you're enjoying the show, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at Daily Coast. See you next week. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at Daily Coast. See you next week.